The Old Testament reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been. And what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you. Such a treat to be able to do this, to be with you. Um, I don't know all of you, but uh, we love and pray for you all the time because um, we have a soft spot in our hearts for in-town church. It's 21 years ago, we moved to Portland and uh, met some of you. I guess we met Curl probably before any of the rest of you and um, just had a delightful season of our lives being there with you and still feel attached to you. Um, I know Brian and um, you know so thankful for the investment of love and care that he's given over these years. It's... Uh, uh, means the world to me just to, to know that he has loved and cared for you the way he has and and seeing the background at the old church and seeing and hearing Matt's music again today is uh it's very nostalgic for me it's very beautiful and I hope you're thankful for what you have uh, because there's not much like it anywhere that I've ever seen um I know it's an uncertain time and I don't of course, know the future any better than any of the rest of you do. But the passage we're looking at today in Ecclesiastes uh, really deals with how uh, vexing and painful uncertainty can be. It's a famous poem about time that the preacher, Colette Solomon, uh, not sure exactly who wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, but uh, usually goes by Solomon and the details fit his life. Um, but he has this poem about time that's pretty famous. Pete Seeger wrote a song about it, The Birds Made Famous, uh, Turn, 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 uh, that even 
uh, some of you younger people might have heard, but it's not really a passage about time being beautiful. It's a passage about time being a problem for us. He's not just saying, um, you know, what time is like people in the physics department want to talk about or not talking about how to use your time well, like people in the business school want to talk about. He's saying time is a problem for us. And in a world especially considered without God, um, time winds up being an enemy to us. It winds up just being vexing to us. Um, it's a kind of a weird complaint. It's sort of like if you overhear someone in a restaurant and one person says, this, the food in this restaurant is terrible. And the other one says, yeah, and the portions are too small. Because you know, Solomon's complaining two ways about time. He says, uh, one, it's vexing to us and it's a problem. And then secondly, we don't have enough of it. All right. And so we're going to think about kind of both parts of that complaint and what difference a faith in Jesus Christ makes to us as we think about time. So let me pray for us. Um, Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to you as we listen to your word. Um, pray that you'd give us hope and believing, especially an ability to trust you when we don't understand you. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll read you something. It's a speech of Billy Crystal's from uh, City Slickers, a movie back in the day, talking about the, the uh, progress of life. He says, value this time in your life, kids, because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. And it goes by so quickly. I mean, when you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. Your 30s, you raise a family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? Your 40s, you grow a little pot belly and a new chin. Uh, music starts to get too loud, and one of your girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s, you have minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's surgery. Uh, the music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. Your 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner at 2 o'clock and lunch around 10 and breakfast the night before. You spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate in frozen yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? By your 80s, you've had a major stroke and you end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse whom your wife can't stand but whom you call mama. Any questions? Um, it's a little dark, but we're looking at Ecclesiastes, and Solomon's a little dark too. And Billy Crystal points his finger at the problem of time, but Solomon points his finger at it too. Let's talk about the problem first. Um, problem of time, the first part of it is you can't control it. And um, feels almost like you could, but you can't. All these pairs that are mentioned from verse 3 to 8, you know, time to be born, a time to die, and so on, um, are mostly things that happen to us, not things we do. You know, he's not um, giving us uh, tips to manage our time better or to manage our time wisely even. Um, he's just saying, isn't it the way that time affects us all? Things just happen to us that we can't control. I have a uh, app on my phone totally syncs with my computer called Nirvana, Nirvana. And it is of all things, 
a uh, time management and productivity app. It's supposed to help you uh, sort of implement your good to great David Allen, Allen system of productivity. Nirvana is what they call it. It's oddly religious language for uh, the idea that you're going to grasp control of your life and make it work for you the way you want it to happen doesn't seem very much like the Eastern idea of nirvana in which you've totally let go of everything to enter the all soul. But that's what they call it. And it comes with the promise of control in your life and your time. The, the book that it's uh, kind of trying to help you use, um, getting things done, it's called The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. And here's what he says, reflect for a moment on what it actually might be like if your personal, personal management situation were totally under control at all levels and at all times. You don't think he's overselling a little bit there. They're totally under control at all levels and at all times. Uh, that's a joke, right? Our lives are never manageable that way. We don't have control over time. We're never going to have control over time. Um, you know, the big events that he mentions in here, you don't have control over when you're born and when you die, when you weep, when you dance. Uh, you just don't know. These, uh, you don't know when you're going to get sick. You don't know when you're going to receive a windfall. You don't know when you're going to fall in love or when you might be deserted. You, these are the big things that happen to us. We don't control them at all. So um, you can't control it. The other problem is there isn't enough of it. And that's not only means like day to day when you're busy trying to get things uh, accomplished and managed and not be late places, that you're stressed always by time and the ticking of the clock. Um, but even the big picture, like you're always being pursued by death. Your time is slipping away. And that's always in the front of our minds. Um, I mean, time flies, unless you're on a treadmill or at a children's swim meet, time goes really fast in your life not on the treadmill. Um, in uh, his song back for Dark Side of the Moon, Roger Waters wrote this in uh, uh, Time for Pink Floyd. It says, you're young and life is long and there's time to kill today. And then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run and you missed the starting gun. I think he wrote that when he was about 29 and uh, lamenting that Suddenly he's all grown and his youth is gone. It's a pretty poignant song. Uh, Solomon says in verse 14, uh, nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. There's an inexorableness to time that haunts us. And we know our time is running out. Age, as they say, is undefeated. And I'm starting to believe that more and more. But, you know, if you use time really well, like with investing, you know, it can be your friend. Like, so if you take, if you took like uh, $2,000 and invested it in an IRA uh, for someone who's just 10 years old and then didn't add any money to it and you let, you know, the miracle of compound interest take effect over the years and years, just this one $2,000 investment, by the time that child is 80, um, he'll probably already be dead. And that's kind of what Solomon is saying here. You, you might try to harness time, but you're not going to be able to do it. Uh, Macbeth 
said, you're a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. So time is vexing and it's fleeting. Uh, it's a pain and we don't have enough of it. And so here we are reading the Bible, thinking about what it says. You got to figure Solomon's always talking about life as if God didn't exist. And so he's describing life under the sun, like he always does, which means without, without regard to God, whether or not God exists. Uh, but in this passage, he starts differently. In verse 1, he says, uh, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, which is kind of his contrast to life under the sun, which is just kind of the naturalistic uh, view of the world. Um, life under heaven takes God into account. And so does it make a big difference if you believe in God, your uh, struggles with time, your experience of time? Because he, he says, rightly, like in verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in his time, and he's put eternity in our hearts. Um, basically saying God is in control of this inexorable time that's baffling to us, uncontrollable to us. God is in control of it. Um, as, I don't know if you guys sing uh, Crown Him with Many Crowns, the old hymn, but one of the verses in that uh, says, uh, Crown Him the Lord of Years, the potentate of time, the one who controls time. He is the potentate of time. And uh, the corollary of that is you are not the potentate of your own time. Uh, you are dependent and submitted to him, and you don't have any way to control it. And it probably makes you wise to know that. It makes you reverent to say that your times are in God's hands and you uh, acknowledge and trust him for that. But I don't know that it makes it much better to believe in God when you're dealing with the problems of time, because um, is it still vexing? Yeah, you can't control it any more believing in God than you could if you didn't. And is it still fleeting? Yeah, your days are numbered and the clock is ticking just like it ticked before you were a Christian. In some ways, believing in God makes it worse, if I can say that, because instead of just thinking that the random universe is, is harsh and unpredictable, now you start to take it personally. You're like, God is God's doing this on purpose. And I can't imagine that uh, there's anything wise or good about the circumstances of my life. Um, believing in God doesn't necessarily help. He says he's put eternity into our hearts in verse 11, yet so that he can't find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Uh, just perplexes us. We don't know what God is doing and why for the most part. So, you know, you, you want to say, well, I, I know God is wiser than I am, and I should just trust him for what he does and how my times go. But, I mean, that's a lot easier to say than it is to do when your life goes off the rails in ways you never wanted or predicted. So. Um, such an honest book, uh, Ecclesiastes, you know, where he says just, just having faith in God um, is not going to suddenly make your life go wonderfully smooth and great. Um, but the whole book of Ecclesiastes is always sort of baiting us with the future. It's always pushing us towards uh, what will be. He wants us to seek wisdom and meaning beyond the sun instead of just under the sun. And um, what he says about time here really uh, takes a different shape when you realize what he's writing was pointing towards uh, Jesus Christ and what God was doing 
uh, and sending his own son to our rescue. You know, if, if you read in the New Testament, there are all these little phrases just thrown in about time, like it's an undercurrent of what's going on in God's big plan for the world. But talking about Jesus in Galatians, it says, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman. And uh, remember at the wedding feast at Cana, before his first miracle, when Mary came to Jesus asking him to help, and he said, what? He said, woman, it's not my time. My time has not yet come, which is a weird answer, right? Um, and Romans 5, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Um, strange notion of time, but what it points us to is that in his potentate, pot his reign over time, that God is directing history in a specific direction to rescue and reclaim the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And so while we don't know hardly anything about why God is doing what he does day to day and in our circumstances, uh, we know in the big picture, he's working everything towards this goal of rescuing us and restoring his world. And that's supposed to give us an ability to trust and hope in him, even though we don't understand. Because what we're given is not like just some static, beautiful picture of how things should be and how they are now because we know Jesus. Uh, more what we're given is a kaleidoscope that changes all the time that we can't predict or understand, but in which we know that, as Solomon says here, that God is making everything beautiful in its time, um, which for the most part means not yet, right? He's making everything beautiful in time, but not now. We just we are uh, called to trust him that that is what he's doing, and it's uh, it's kind of a like all the Christian hope a future hope. It's a resurrection hope that um, even though we don't understand things, God's making them beautiful. Leonard Cohen, who seems mostly to look at um, things from an Old Testament perspective in his music, uh, has a song called "You Want It Darker," and his uh, meditation on how the times of his life have gone and how history and the world unfolds uh, just leaves him with very dark thoughts of God. He says, you want it darker. Obviously, that's the conclusion I draw from looking at the world. Um, but we believe in the resurrection, which means we believe that time and the future are in the loving, kind hands of our Father, who is inexplicable to us, but is kind and is loving. And uh, having given us his own son, as our New Testament reading said today, uh, will not become stingy with us now. So we're called to trust a God whom we know is out for our good, ultimately. So in uh, Roger Waters' song about time uh, on Dark Side of the Moon, Right at the end of it, he says, has this phrase that feels like kind of a dig at believers, but I don't really take it that way. He says, far away across the field, the tolling of the iron bell calls the faithful to their knees to hear the softly spoken magic spells. Church bells call the faithful to their knees to hear the softly spoken magic spells. And to call it magic spells is a dig, but the hope we have as Christians is so profound that um, I don't hardly even mind the magic spells language. 
um, because it's pretty astounding to be able to believe in this world that seems so random and seems so dark that um, God in his kindness is overruling it for our sakes and that his love and good intention for us are behind everything that he does. We are uh, people who believe that God will make everything beautiful in its time. And that's a tremendous hope to have. Uh, so, but it makes us uh, impatient. It makes our lives lives of waiting because everything's not made beautiful now. Some things are, but most things aren't. We're kind of candle in the window people. You know, the whole idea of having a candle in your window uh, to guide the way home for someone uh, that you're missing is an old metaphor. Um, but that's us. We live our lives with a candle in the window, constantly reminding ourselves things are not the way they're supposed to be yet. It's not okay yet until we're home with him. And so we live in uh, that kind of hope and that kind of angst and waiting. It allows us to go ahead and engage instead of despairing in the world now to be able to take these pleasures that we experience, you know, for what they are and still enjoy them, even though we realize time is slipping away and we can't control it very much. Um, you know, he says that the best thing we can do is do good and eat and drink and enjoy our work uh, such as they are, uh, because we know that God will make things beautiful in their time. Uh, we don't figure time out. Uh, we don't know what he's doing. Time is still vexing. Time is still fleeting. Yes. Uh, but God is in control. He is the potentate of time. So uh, in town Presbyterian Church. What's God doing now? How is he making everything beautiful in its time? What's he up to? Um, I have no idea. I, I don't have tea leaves for that. Um, I know this, that all these years that Brian Prentice has uh, cut his wrist for you guys and loved and cared for you is time that's worth it. That isn't lost. Uh, that'll be beautiful. Um, I know that uh, Curl's consistency leading you guys in worship in the beautiful way that he does uh, is in a sweet aroma in God's nostrils, and it's not wasted. Um, my dreams for what the church would become and be uh, have not proven to be determinative. God never seems to respect my plans very much, but that's okay. Right? Um, is 21 years enough? Uh, for in town's whole story, not by me, it's not. <laughs> I don't think that's enough at all, but maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not the potentate of time. Um, what I know is that your investment and your love and your worship and all that you've put in serving the city is not lost. Things that God will make beautiful in his time. He may have a tremendous future for in town. Uh, even in the days just after this, we don't know that. Um, but we know him and we know that he's not taken by surprise by the difficulties of COVID and of uh, Prentice having to leave. Um, and he's still keeping his promises to make things beautiful in their time. We're trying it again. You know, uh, fool me once, shame on me, uh, shame on you is the old yarn, but we're trying to plant a church again down in Tucson, Arizona and uh, we've been here about four years this summer, and it's totally uncontrollable, right? It's like the kaleidoscope. 
way more than it is like the business plan that's being executed. Um, I don't know how it's going. I don't know how it will go. I don't, you know, um, it feels like you won't really know for generations what, how a church is going. We won't know until heaven uh, and who knows how much we'll even understand then of all that God did and how he used in town and um, what influence you had, what connections that you made have eternal significance and uh, those kind of things. I hope you'll know that, you know, what Solomon's saying here is when you don't understand God, you can still trust him and trust that he's good, that he loves you, that he's out for your good. He's not uh, out to harm you as uh, Pete prayed earlier. Sort of like having uh, the situation the disciples had on Holy Saturday. You know, after the crucifixion, they're bewildered. They don't know what God's doing. They have hope, uh, but vague hope because they're not sure. They don't see what's God doing. They sure can't explain it. We know a little bit more about what was going on on Holy Saturday than they do. But even still, that experience of trusting God when you don't know what he's doing is pretty much the Christian life. That's what we're called to do as Jesus followers in the world. But we do it with this undercurrent of unshakable hope that our circumstances really can't deflect us from. Um, When Solomon was feeling dark, as he did most of that book, Ecclesiastes, he would go back to a phrase of despair saying, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What Jesus has done, it's not um, taken us out of the world where we feel the pressures and pains of time but he's changed our motto from Solomon's to this. uh, Let us eat, drink, and be merry. For yesterday, we were dead. Now let's pray. Father, thank you for these friends um, that you've gathered and uh, the way you've weaved their lives together at In Town. I pray that you would give them hope and believing. I pray that you would... um, Give them encouragement as they wait on you, not knowing. I pray that you would grant them peace uh, that goes beyond understanding because uh, not knowing what's going on, they know you. Uh, So please come and help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.